welcome everybody to another episode of the Glorious Rugby Podcast. I'm your co-host John Fitzpatrick and joining me is my fellow co-host Alistair Kirschpool, AKP. Woo-wee, do we have a lot to talk about, but first, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm glad uh, glad to be back on the podcast. We recorded an episode last week, except uh, my audio didn't get recorded, so... Sorry for the the no episode last week, especially with all the big news going down. Feels like we're going to have a lot to talk about this week. Yeah, and also, you can't see it, but AKP gave me a very nice gift. I I got a brand new microphone, and of course, I tried to plug it in and use it right away, right out of the box, and I probably should have set it up beforehand, but I didn't, so hopefully next week we'll be able to hear the beautiful sounds coming out of my voice into this fantastic microphone. Maybe we'll auto-tune it or something like that, you know? Anyway, (laughs) AKP, man, you are right. It's been a wild couple of days in Major League Rugby. We've got to jump right off the start with what has come out this morning. We're recording this on a Wednesday. For the second time in 10 days, another Major League Rugby team will not be competing in the 2024 MLR season and of course the team that we're referring to now the latest team is the New York Iron Workers AKP we had some rumors and heard some news about this a week and a half ago but now that it's and again we haven't heard anything from MLR yet or Rugby New York but it's coming from Brian Ray and he's basically gospel when it comes to rugby news now that it's officially out what are your thoughts and what concerns do you have yeah this is we're at a a pretty big moment for the league so obviously since we we last released an episode the toronto arrows uh, announced that they were closing up shop um they failed they had a new investor who was going to step in for uh, bill webb who unfortunately passed away in august and then that deal fell through at the last minute and the arrows the arrows collapsed. Canada's only MLR team went under. And now we're hearing news about New York. Apparently they missed a capital call back at the end of November and they got a grace period until now, which is why we're we're learning about it now, uh, to to come up with the money, which if you're not familiar with how this stuff works, capital call means they, you know, the league requires money to continue operating. The teams are losing money, but also the league is overall is losing money. Things like TRN costs money, especially since they've only just started getting money back out of it, um, producing shows and stuff for that. Uh, also, you know, just central league operations. You've got to pay the CEO's salary somehow, and they have their own media team their own operations team there and so that all costs money and so with no revenue coming in you've got to get that money from somewhere and they get it from the current owners so they they do these fundraising rounds these capital calls to to raise more capital for the league from the existing owners and part of the agreement for the owners is that you've got to be able to meet those financial obligations and it sounds like new york was not able to do that they were not able to to meet the the latest round of funding and and that's that's a problem for them so my question there is you know we've we're, we weren't in the boardroom right so we don't know some of the discussions but we can have an inkling and 
and, and, and speculate on some of the conversations they're having, but I'm sure the idea was floated about, hey, do we try and prop up New York because it is such a big market, because they've won an MLR championship recently, if that matters or not, but because it's New York, do we try and pass around the hat and, and prop up New York for one year, similar to what they kind of did, or at least Eric Anderson in, in New England did with, with Atlanta. I know that situation was a little bit different, but if that discussion took place and the other owners are like, well, hell, we're, we're losing money. You know, do we prop up New York for a year and hope there's a buyer? And if it doesn't happen, you know, to, I guess my question back to you, does it sound like, or are you just, could we potentially speculate that the other clubs, the owners of clubs are just saying, hey, um, I don't think we can prop up New York, so we have no choice but to let them go to the wayside. Yeah, I mean, I imagine that there were discussions in the background around all of these things. The you know, it's not good for the other owners in the league to have a team go under. Uh, it's terrible publicity. It's it's bad for the stability of the league. You want these things to continue. Ideally, you want them to be successfully sold if they can't continue under their current ownership. And like you say, they did that with, with Atlanta, but then there's only so much you can do. It sounds like New York, similar to Toronto, had a had an, a new investor in the wings waiting to join, and then they pulled out the last minute, and that really left the team in a difficult position. And that would be an unfortunate place for the, the league to be to be having that much difficulty finding new owners and new investments investors for existing teams but it's also you know this is actually a particular diff, particularly difficult time for businesses in general especially startups capital is not flowing like it used to interest rates are growing going up that makes borrowing money more difficult that makes acquiring capital more challenging and a lot has been done to try and you take the foot off the gas as far as the economy is concerned and this is a consequence of that you know there's no longer a lot of extra free money to just throw at things like at like major league rugby like a startup sports league and that mm-hmm. i think we're seeing the effects of that two things one you're right uh and this isn't unique to mlr right <clears throat> we've seen in professional rugby around the u.s look at the premiership right they contracted, what, three, four teams, if I have that correctly. I think attendance is down a little bit early in the season for some of the premiership teams. So not unique to rugby in the U.S., not unique to professional rugby in the U.S. We've got other problems um, than what uh, England and the premiership has. But the other thing is, and I want to say this pretty clearly for MLR fans, Mark Cuban and Ryan Reynolds are not coming in to save this league. There's no white knight in shining armor worth billions of dollars is going to come in and prop up professional rugby, men and women, right, if we're talking about the um, uh, the WPL in the U.S., all right? There's no white knight in shining armor going to come in and save us. Oh, please, you know, you, you like rugby, come save it. That's not happening, right? It, it's contingent upon us, players, coaches, staff, fans, whatever, to continue to support these folks who are toiling every day with little pay and little appreciation to try and grow this sport. A lot of them are volunteering their time, right? Like coaches and stuff for youth stuff, right? It's contingent upon us to continue to grow this because 
they need to show that MLR can become a profitable business. But Mark Cuban and Mark Reynolds or Ryan Reynolds, they're not coming to save the day. That's not happening. So I know we like to joke around about it, but we got to stop. We got to cut that shit out because then no one takes us seriously. Wait, waiting for someone to come save us. It's not happening. We're not getting bailed out on this. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah. No, I think it's a great point. There's no shortcut to a successful league. Yes. And I, yes. I think that is important to keep in mind. And that's the other thing to keep in mind in general here. I mean, I remember seeing a comment at one point during the Toronto collapse that someone mentioned that, you know, along the lines of we as fans don't like to see teams collapse, but for owners, they've sort of priced this in from the beginning. They knew that this was going to happen at some point. Some teams are going to collapse and it's an inevitability. And I mean, you look at the the causes of the collapses of the teams so far. I mean, two owners, two teams had their their owners, their key investors, the ones who really glued together the ownership group, provided most money. You had them die unexpectedly. You know, that happened in Atlanta, and they were obviously able to uh, continue that team for the next season and then successfully sell it in the this year to, to LA. And then in Toronto... They, they weren't able able to find that investor to tide them over until they could, could sell it. And, you know, that's just unfortunate circumstances. You know, things happen. It's, it's tough for fans, but sometimes these things don't go the way we want them to. And sometimes, you know, th- you can't plan for every contingency. How do you plan for someone just unexpectedly dying? And for Bill Webb, dying at a fairly young age. Um, and... You know, you look at the the Gilcrest situation. That was just a, you know, rapid, unplanned insolvency. He just, he didn't, I don't know if he quite went bankrupt, but his, his fortune vanished overnight. Like, you you can't plan for that sort of thing to happen. Um, there's things you can do to reduce risk, but every, part of the the advantage of expanding, adding teams is that you get the opportunity to have these failures that every now and then a team through no fault of its own is going to unexpectedly die. And I think the New York collapse is a little more concerning to me than those other ones, because this one doesn't have a clear cause. You know, you could, those other ones, you can look at them and say, oh, that's just misfortune. But the New York one, like they should have been able to do something about this. The signs of this should have been coming they know how much money they have and how much they're giving, and they should have been able to avoid this. And the fact that they haven't been able to, which, you know, as we're recording this, we don't know yet uh, whether they will stick around or not. But it's to, to come this close to a collapse, that's, that, that for me is the first concerning sign. It's the first time we've seen an ownership group just not be able to continue. Yeah. Um, well, you know, it's funny because that's like, a concern. Yeah, and, and I definitely a concern. And I want to cut the other way here for a second because I think maybe it's because now that uh, the the loss of Toronto for the MLR season has sunk in, right? Um, this New York news definitely alarming and concerning. I don't feel as bad. And hear me out for a second. Like Toronto was really unfortunate, and it's too bad we couldn't release our our podcast from last yeah. week because it. Because our conversation about like, okay, does MLR need a team in Canada? And we kind of came around to the idea that no, if if we can save the league, and that means Toronto needs to go and figure it out and come back, we're okay with that, right? Because I think I think there's the potential 
for Toronto to come back and have an MLR club in, yeah. in you know down the line, maybe not in a year or two, right? Sadden, because such a pivotal figure, such a big figure in, in rugby in Toronto, fortunately passed away. The rest of the ownership group couldn't get it together, and the season had to, um, you know, they had to close up. This New York thing, though, back to your earlier point, though, the owners kind of knew, like, hey, this is the risk of, of trying to operate a startup professional rugby league here in the U.S. is that we could run out of money, right? No team is making money. So this New York thing, and we've seen the signs. You brought it up, like the rebranding, the trying to find a, a venue to play. It's expensive to operate in New York. The NFL doesn't play in New York. <laughs> They've got two teams that are New York-based that play in freaking New Jersey, right? <laughs> There's an NBA team, a couple teams in you know, in New York. And yeah, there's, you know, a hockey team, but they're out on Long Island or whatever. And yes, you've got the New York Rangers, but Madison Square Garden, yada, yada. But yes, New York City is massive. A lot of people there, probably a large number of rugby fans, right? But the constant moving around, the rebranding, it's probably hard and all the different entertainment options. I'm not trying to give an excuse for New York. I'm just trying to say the reality of the situation is that, yes, we'd like to have a team in a big market, but for whatever reason, it wasn't ready yet. It wasn't ready. And I remember our conversation last week, which we couldn't release. We talked about growth versus, okay, here's our core nucleus. Let's build up these teams and support it and try and make it profitable before we bring in new new ownership groups. And you said the other way, which I kind of liked, was like, hey, people got money, start a team, throw it in there. Let's see if it thrives. If it doesn't, you know, they fall to the wayside and another team comes in, right? Maybe I'm paraphrasing your idea there uh, a little bit, but we saw the signs and maybe I'm not as concerned that New York is gone, other than the fact, yes, it's a big market. Yes, they've signed some big-name players in that Brian Ray report. I mean, there were some big ex-all-blacks who did sound like they were going to come in the league. Nate Osberger, I think, was going to leave San Diego and go to New York. Chris Matina was going to leave Chicago and go to New York. So it sounded like some big names were coming. So I'll, I'll, I'll kick it back to you, because my next question back to you then is, are you concerned? I know there was a lot there. <laughs> are you concerned... If people are on Twitter saying, hey, this could be the end of the league. Are we concerned there's going to be uh, a league in 2024? And I'm pumped the brakes to say, look, these other owners have invested a lot. We're still seeing player signings with, with other teams. We're going to have 11 teams playing? Maybe 10? I don't know. We don't know about LA. Uh, I'm concerned that the Eastern Conference right now at the moment, or at least the East, the way it's currently, has only three teams in it. I'm a little concerned by that, but I've talked a lot. I'm sorry. It's a stream of consciousness. I'm just like dumping it all out on you, AKP, and I'm asking you to come along with your mop and clean it up. So please clean up my crazy thoughts. Oh, no, I mean, that's what my brain has been for, for like the past week and a half is I've just like everything to do with this thinking through every everything that it means for the league and for us as fans. And I think you, you know, let's start with the fact that, yeah, this is, this is tough for all of the fans. This is tough for the players. This is especially tough for the staff. I mean, the players at least have marketable skills. The ones that are the better players on New York's team, they'll, they'll find places to go around the country. They'll have other opportunities. The staff, largely they're probably just done and they're out of a job right before christmas that's a a tough place to be and you know the fans they just suddenly don't have a team anymore that's that's that sucks i would hate for that to happen to old glory and especially the dedicated fans who've put a lot of time and effort and money 
bought all the gear and now suddenly the team doesn't exist anymore. That's that's a tough place to be. But when we look at, you know, does this mean that MLR overall is going to collapse? And I think it's it's difficult to say. And I think, you know, we as fans just need to be comfortable in this place of not really knowing what's going to happen. Because we don't. MLR could collapse tomorrow. It's, I think it's incredibly unlikely. I think the 2024 season at this point is going to happen. There's enough teams that have put in enough money and enough investors that are invested enough that they're not going to let it collapse for 2024. Uh, it would it would take a it would take a lot for that to happen. You know if you know if Dallas and Nola and I don't know San Diego and New England all collapsed, then yeah maybe that would that would be the end of it. But I think 2024 will happen. But the question is, does 2025 happen? What about 2026? Do we make it all the way to the 2031 World Cup? And that's I don't know, and no one knows. It's a yeah. uh, we well, just if you harken back, to, see if you harken back to our conversation from last week that no one heard, <laughs> we talked yeah. about this very thing about can MLR get to 2031? And I'm sorry, I'm cutting you off, but I think yes, because World Rugby has so much invested in making the Rugby World Cup in 31, primarily the Men's World Cup, a success because they have to, they need it to, because they have really placed a big bet, you know, making a risk on putting the Rugby World Cup in the U.S. that MLR, the professional professional rugby, needs to survive at least up to 2031. Afterwards, they may say, who cares, right? If it's success, then they'll be like, okay, maybe we can continue to put more investment in it. But could there be, I think the 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 the, the, the likelihood that World Rugby could come in, <laughs> earlier I said there's no Mark Cuban or Ryan Reynolds coming to prop up the league. World Rugby might be that only because... I think they, re- I think it may get to the point where MLR say, "Hey, we need some money to keep this thing going," and World Rugby might say, "Okay, we can give you some money, but we need to, we're going to come in and either take over more ownership or more control just to see it through to 31." If we're concerned that we can't get to 2026, so yeah, sorry, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and that's there's a can of worms there. Yes. Yeah, I think my. So it's it's one of those things where when nobody knows what will happen, and so we have to talk about what could happen, and sort of what is what are the potential states of MLR going forward, and I think it's not time to be completely concerned yet. You know, some teams have struggled, some teams have failed, but overall, most of the teams that have joined the league are still in the league. Most of the the attempts at starting teams have have yet to fail. And we've seen some great success in some places. You know, San Diego had amazing attendance. So did Chicago in their very first year in in the league. New England has had good attendance, has had a, a great atmosphere, and seems to really connect with the community. You know, Utah has been, been going, and they seem to have, like, just an incredibly strong community outreach program there. So there are these these strong signs for for teams and there's and certainly some teams seem like they they will survive for me i think the the cutoff is going to be if there can be eight teams eight to ten teams that hit some sort of sustainable level some sort of 
you know, can can get past a major risk of collapse, can get past the point where they're there's a chance that they're they're going to go under every year, then I think the the league overall will survive. I also think that you know there needs to be some way to generate money for the league itself. There can't be capital calls to the teams all the time. And I think that's going to involve some sort of TV deal, some way to get people to pay for for rugby on TV. Because we think about attendance as being a major thing. That's a, a thing that makes a huge difference to teams. It's a, a way for them to connect with fans, but there are very few leagues in the world that survive entirely based on attendance, especially leagues where you ha- each team has to support this many players per team. You know, each team is having to support 40-some salaries just in terms of players alone, and then have all of the staff and coaching and everything to support them. Like, it's it's a lot of... Each one of these teams is, is a, a fairly... <laughs> It's like a mid-sized business in and of itself. And you think about, you know, even if you get 10,000 fans in the stadium, there's only so much money you can get from people coming to your games. Whereas when you think about the number of people you can get to watch something on TV, sure, you get less money per person, but that is where the real money is. And I think if, if MLR can't get to a point where they're breaking even on the broadcast stuff and hopefully you know using the broadcasting money to at least pay for the central league operations and then you know hopefully give a bit of money back to the teams i think it's going to be difficult for MLR to say sustainable in the long term it could be you're you're 100% right the, the the broadcast revenue is really what props up this media rights deals props up the profitability of of a lot of these um, professional leagues, you know, it could be, there's just, you know, there's just so many questions to ask out of this, right? Like if you're LA right now, the owners of this LA team, do you hit the pause button and say, because we haven't heard anything from them. Do we say, Hey, maybe 2024 isn't the best time for us to enter. And do we reconsider for 2025? And then MLR has another headache to worry about, or does LA continue? The other thing though, you know, to complicate things, I hate to say complicate things, um, but you know the the U.S. Rugby Players Association is trying to unionize players. Is is this unionization talk scaring off potential investors? Or you know could 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 the league and and team owners say, hey guys, look, hey, let's let's kick this unionization stuff to the curb because right now we got to focus on the stability of the league and this is causing headaches and issues, you know, and then that kicks down, you know, you kick the unionization thing down the line a little bit more and players are kind of figuring that out again and then my third question is okay we are still waiting to hear the news on the arrows you know the player dispersal now we've got another team who's got a, a quality players and you've got what 40 50 some maybe more players who now are going to theoretically sprinkle around the league only bolstering the strength of all these other clubs um we're six weeks seven weeks from the start of the season or you know training camps and then the league kicks off in in March, there's so many unanswered questions. I don't know which one you want to tackle first, AKP, but have at it. Uh, I mean, there's there's almost too many questions to even <laughs> think about answering them all. Like, yeah, dispersing players is going to be a major challenge, and especially since they got so much criticism for it, how they went about it last year. And, 
I think it was last year. Yeah. I can't keep... Oh, man. So much has been happening. And you just... You want to see those players taken care of this time around. I think it'll be important for the... Especially with the union vote coming up. I think MLR has to prove that they can take care of players and take them seriously and take their concerns seriously without having to have a union. That's going to be important for them to prove. I would be surprised if they do a good job with that, to be honest. I think they're going to probably just do what they've always done, minimal communication, (laughs) figure something out on their own in the backroom deal, and then players will go wherever. I I think New York's players probably largely going to find places to be around the the country because especially the domestic ones because they'll count as domestic you won't have to get a visa for them or anything toronto players it's going to be much tougher because they're canadians you'll get certainly the good ones the the top end players from there lucas rumble etc like they'll find places to go but the Canada's got a real problem because they're about to have a flood of unattached young Canadian players who aren't good enough to get a visa to go to the U.S. Who the the U.S. teams are mostly going to say, "Well, we'll just we'll just train up American guys. Why do we need your Canadian guys?" And they're now not going to have anywhere to play. So there's there's a lot of things that need to be worked out, and we don't really know how it's going to settle now. And if frankly, I don't even have enough information to guess how all of this is going to settle out. So many questions, AKP. Um, I mean, it's a wild, it's certainly a wild time, right? Um, and, and I'm optimistic that we can look back on this time in like four or five years and be like, yep, you know, growing pains for a, a startup league. You know, we talked in the past about how other leagues like MLS had, had some, some issues when they first started out. Again, it's not, you know, the best comparison because soccer has more engagement and participation across all levels here in the U.S. So it's not the, the best comparison, but at least it's a, it's a model to look at. Um, I am optimistic. I, I, I don't think it's all doom and, and gloom. I think it's it's easy to pile on. Um, you know, MLR and, and the owners to say, look, this league is going to fail. Like, what, I don't know what satisfaction someone would get out of being right about that. And it's not even like, that's not even a hot take to say like, oh, MLR is going to fail. Like, go after yourself. Yeah. Sorry. You know, you know, people have been pouring millions of dollars into this. These are folks' livelihoods for the last couple of years. And you're right. The staff and players in, in New York all of a sudden weeks before Christmas time are now out of a job. And right now we're, you know, there's some, some, we're, we're having some issues uh, across the country. Like, I, I don't want to pile on and say, haha, yep, MLR's going down because then we're not going to do this podcast anymore, right? You know what I mean? So like, you know, there's bigger concerns than me and you just, you know, shooting the crap on, on a microphone um, about MLR, right? But so I don't want it there to be doom and gloom. And I think you're right. I think there are probably, you know, we talked a little bit about it last week, the episode that no one will hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's probably six to eight franchises that I feel like are 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 stable, you know, relative to to how things are going, right? And we'll go here, like Seattle. Things are sounds like things are going good in Seattle. Utah, I would throw San Diego in there. I would put Houston in there. Four, Chicago, that's five, right? New England's got a good thing going on. 
Oh Glory DC has a good thing going on. By my simple math with my fingers that I'm holding up, I'm now, what, at seven. Miami coming in, that's eight. I'm, I'm, I think they've got some excitement around it. It looks like they've done some good community outreach. I think there's enough interest there in Miami. Plus, they're just starting, so we got to give them a shot. So that's, that's eight right now, okay? LA's a question mark, but I'm hearing rumors that it sounds like they've they did make their capital call, so it sounds like they're gonna play in 2024. I'm reading this, you know, on official channel, so that's nine, right? If I'm doing my math right. So right now, a question mark. Noel Gold? I don't know. I don't know. They've they've struggled on the field. I like their ownership group. I like, you know, the 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 GM, Fitzy down there. He comes on these shows and he talks, so it seems like they're trying to engage. But we, big question marks. But to me, there seems like there is a core of at least eight where you feel like, okay, there's some stability here and and, and there's some growth. I hope I didn't leave a team out, um, but I think we covered them all. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, yeah, anyone saying that this is a, the league is certain to fail now doesn't know what they're talking about. Anyone who says the league is, that this isn't a problem and that the league is certain to survive, that's, they also don't know what they're talking about. Like, there is no certainty here, and that is fine. And I think, I, I've said before that in my mind, there are sort of major milestones that MLR needs to make. And the first one was just setting up the league in the first place. It is incredibly difficult to get a, a proper professional sports league even just playing games i mean we if you if you pay attention to these things on social there was a the nrfl that that failed to get going um because they forgot to get certification like um permission to to do it you've got you know a, a there was a rugby league attempt to professional whatever and they they have a, played a handful of games but nothing haven't even managed a, a proper season so that was the first one and then you had you know the second hurdle was was actually producing a serious product and i think la really helped in that like the difference you go back and look watch those old games on youtube from like 2018 2019 the level of play now is so different the product on the field is just so much better and now we're facing the third big hurdle of mlr which is making these teams actually sustainable, making them make sense as businesses. And it's it's a hard hurdle to get over, and a lot of teams are not going to get over it. You know, there's no guarantee Old Glory is going to get over it. If they can't fix their stadium issues, if they, you know, go another five years playing, you know, halfway to West Virginia, that's going to be, that could be the end of Old Glory. But they also have a chance to succeed. They seem to be one of the better teams from a, a sort of business structure standpoint they have a lot of good expertise on running businesses and running rugby businesses on the on the the staff and you know they seem to have a, a good game plan you know they won't confirm anything um but there's there's plans for at some point someone's going to build a stadium and they're going to be able to play in it so I have confidence that Old Glory is going to stick around, but there's always a chance that they they don't, and that's this is what being a fan of a a new startup league and a niche sport is. And I don't think it's all doom and gloom. I'm I'm actually I feel okay about the future of the league. I give it like fifty five percent that that MLR is around in twenty thirty one. 
Well, AKP, that's you know, that's a good segue here to talk a little bit about some old glory DC news here and chat a little bit about some player signings and re-signings. I want to start with a re-signing here. Old Glory DC announced that they have re-signed back rower Brady Daniel. Of course, we know that he is the brother of his teammate Corey Daniel. AKP, your thoughts on this move? Is this um, adding more depth to that forward pack? Yeah, I think that's just, you know, adding a a young, promising player. You know, obviously he hasn't had a whole lot of playing time yet. I think he played in a couple of games last year for, you know, 10 minutes or so. But, yeah, I think it's it's always worth keeping these guys around, and especially with the family connection, you know, to Corey Daniel. Why not? It seems like a, seems like a good option. Hopefully he will improve in the offseason he hopefully he's uh taking coaching to heart and he can explode onto the scene in in 2024 but we'll see yeah i mean just from the the, the story alone right like we saw um you know just a couple of weeks ago when for the usa men's eagles when mitch wilson and bailey wilson were able to play on the field together i believe that was against spain and that was bailey who plays for utah that was his first um, appearance uh, for the men's Eagles. That's got to be a cool experience, right, for for the brothers to come up through all different levels of rugby and then get to the highest and then play on a field together. So for Brady and Corey, that's got to be pretty cool for them to be able to, you know, again, try and be on the field together playing uh, professional rugby. So, yeah, we didn't see much of, of, of Brady last year, but, yeah, maybe this is a year where he really, um, you know, brings it together the coaching staff finds you know minutes for him and and all that so i guess we'll wait and see but that'll be a, a fun moment uh for those two now the other news that uh, the other player announcement that i think is pretty exciting um and again continuing to just add strength to the front pack and really the front row but old glory dc announced they've signed usa eligible prop joseph rafter this is a big, young kid who's got, I think, a lot of potential. Um, has played some some pretty high-level rugby to begin with. AKP, he's from your country, men's land. <laughs> I shouldn't say <laughs> your country's men. <laughs> he's from England. Um, talk to me a little bit about what we know about Joseph. Yeah, so he's English-raised. Played with the England U16s team there. He's U.S. eligible, though, through family connections. Played mostly in the, the championship level over there, so second tier of professional, Bedford Blues, uh, Doncaster Knights, Hartbury University. He did spend a season getting loaned to Harlequins in Premiership Rugby, and overall seems like just a, a solid prop, a, an excellent option. Great that he is domestic. Um, he seems to primarily play loose head prop, so it's going to be interesting to see, you know, between him and Iscaro, who gets the most minutes and who's who's starting, or if one of them moves to tight head or something like that. We really don't know what the prop room is going to look like for Old Glory next year at the moment. I mean, you've got you've had a, a bit, number of big names leave there and and it's not quite clear who's going to replace them them yet i think so far we've got jack iscaro we've got um joseph rafter and then the canadian 
Callie Martinez. So, you know, that's, that's, we still need at least three or four more props, preferably, preferably like five or six more props. Uh, so it's there's still a lot of a lot to be settled well, there, and we'll, we'll see. Maybe we'll get one from the arrows or from uh, yeah from New York. Hey, you absolutely know? a possibility. There's I mean there's some there's some good props in New York too, especially I mean Chance Wengluski. I mean Caleb yeah, Geiger. Yeah, yeah, who's yeah both Eagles. Yeah, yeah. There's some there's some great options there. So we'll. We'll see what Just happens. a short trip down 95 from New yeah, York. You know, come on down. Far. Commute on the Amtrak. Head south, don't go north. You could yeah. commute on the Amtrak, and it would take probably like half your salary to do it. But yeah, yeah, cool stuff. It's it's always cool when you can find these these domestic players overseas. And I think we've seen a lot of players who have domestic eligibility coming over to the MLR, and I sort of wonder, you... I mean, you had that conversation with Scott Lawrence. Excellent conversation, Eagles overseas, and you know he mentioned how it's important for these players to be playing in Major League Rugby, and you know if they can get minutes overseas, that's always good, of course. But like, you know, it, them playing here, playing in the American landscape, and and getting a good amount of experience and and time on a team is is better than than playing overseas so you know i don't know if he has aspirations for the u.s national team but prop is a position where we could we could use some support right now to be honest i mean you think about the the national team and there have been you've had a a couple of big props you know opt out you've had some struggles especially on the tight head side so it's it's possible that that he he really is trying for the the national team and and that's why he's coming back over here. It's good to see all of these player announcements, given everything that's going on the past couple of weeks. Right, clubs are still business is still happening. Right, <laughs> going back to what we talked about earlier in the episode, there's still going to be a 2024 MLR season. Clubs who are just about rounding out their roster now have some decisions to make because again, as we talked about. Um, there are players from, from two clubs who seemingly could be available, so it'll be interesting to see how they slot in, and I'm sure we'll get more details, hopefully, on the player dispersal stuff here soon, but um, business is still going on, yeah, hopefully. <laughs> clubs are still signing players. We're still gearing up for 2024 season. We're going to have to rework the schedule, all that. The the conference, you know, conference probably need to be reseeded. If I have anything, just thinking about it, I'd probably slot maybe nola back to the east so at least there's four teams in the east that'll be four teams in like the the central i don't think i have it quite right but then i think they're just going to get rid of the conferences once you've got 11 teams you know 2020 that's what they did they just had there were no conferences back to the east and west yeah well no just just all everyone plays everyone and then you play a certain number of teams twice and and just just go with that seems like the easiest it's an 11 there's no nice way to break that down that's a good point Um, yeah so akp i mean um again not doom and gloom maybe a little bit mlr you know i don't think so i think some other conversations i'm having I'm, i'm reading stuff about doom and gloom and i don't want that to be the case i'm having too much fun 
uh, with this MLR season um, that um, wish for the best. I guess, you know, AKP, as we start to focus here at the end of the episode, I, I did just want to bring up there is, you know, some rugby going on this weekend. There's some more college rugby. I think NCR has got four. They're going to be crowning three or four national champions uh, here, I think, in a small college um, division two division one double a and i think division one i may have that right or wrong um and then of course usa men's and women's sevens they're back in action this weekend second stop of that series cape town i think a maybe a disappointing start to the series for them although you know some of their key players aren't back yet a little bit of extra rest they welcome back two players who hadn't been with them for a while madison hughes and ben pinkelman good to see them back both teams have qualified for the paris olympics so and I think the women have a real good shot at meddling. Um, so, again, some some kinks to work out there. But, uh, uh, you know, just maybe an optimistic note here as we end this episode. And, hey, KP, I always, um, I always kick it to you at the end here for your closing thoughts. And I'm going to do this a little bit differently maybe this time. And again, you have no idea what's coming. Of the Toronto Arrows and the New York Ironworkers, um, players who, who now seemingly want to continue to play MLR and join a club. It, name me two or three players from either of those squads that you would love to have on the old Glory DC roster. Ooh. Yeah, that is certainly a, certainly a challenging question. I'll throw out a couple just to get the conversation going. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and this is not, it. you know, you know, weighing just name and and you know roster construction. So not all of this may make sense. Um, I'd love to have Lucas Rumble on the Glory DC. I mean, the guy is just a menace at the breakdown. Seems like a real cool guy. Great locker room presence. Obviously, still competing at a high level. He's one guy for Old Glory DC that again, I don't know <laughs> where he would necessarily fit in. You know. Certainly, um, competition in the back row uh, would be great, but he would be a really nice addition to the squad. So that's one name. Oh, then I'll I'll throw out uh, Dylan Fawcett would be would be great, especially. And I am thinking about roster construction there. You know, we've had Nick Suchon was was great last year, and losing him, we could use a really dynamic hooker so i I would i would snap up dylan fawcett yeah that's a that's a good one just from a from a fun point of view and you know we 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 seem to be pretty good in the back row and certainly a a good season but not a season like he had the year before but ed fido would just be fun you know i think people are used to a similar rampaging running style with junior sal you know it'd be fun to see him yeah Running down the wing, just terrorizing some smaller, some smaller wings, be a fun name to to throw out there. But he's a guy that hey, come on down, Ed. I honestly, I would want him on the team just so that he's not on anyone else's <laughs> team because I really hate seeing him in on the other side of the field. Yeah, good point. That's a good point. Um, a couple other players that a Toronto player. Um, I've always been a fan of uh, of Sam Malcolm. Um, I think he's just been yeah. a quality player. I know we've already got, um, you know... Wait, is, is, is Grady back? Grady's back, right? Grady's back. Yeah, Grady's yeah, back. Yeah. Okay. 
could we introduce another Canadian fly half fullback onto the roster who's got a good boot as well? I don't know. But, uh, you know. Absolutely, why not? Yeah. Oh, he's not Canadian, is he? Sam Malcolm? I well, thought he's, he was uh, he's from New Zealand. Australian. Or yeah, New Zealand. Australian, New Zealand. But, uh, yeah, good point. Good Just point. been in Canada forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Feels Canadian. <laughs> Honorary Canadian. That's right. Honorary Canadian. So, but again, you know, there's, there's, those are just a few. I mean, there's so many high quality players from Toronto and New York and, you know, I hope they, they find a spot somewhere on an MLR club and presumably there's going to be a couple, I would think that it will join old glory DC if, you know, if, if it's right. And, um, we'll be interesting to see how they mesh into the team. So for my co-host, Alistair Kirschpool, I'm John Fitzpatrick. You've been listening to the Glorious Rugby Podcast. There's still going to be a lot of fallout from this New York situation. I think there's a lot more details that are still going to come out you know, after this episode is released. And I'm looking forward to, to covering a lot more of it, AKP, uh, with you next week as we hopefully learn some more details about where players are going, you know, kit miss, you know, the season schedule, all that good stuff. There will be a 2024 MLR season. I'm counting on it, so... We'll have a lot more to discuss over this in the next couple of weeks. Just when I thought we were going to run out of things to talk about, we will have plenty of material for these next few weeks. So again, for my co-host, Alistair Kirsch-Pool, I'm John Fitzpatrick. We've been listening to the Podcast. See you next week. Bye.